Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. I want to try and connect two thoughts uh, that struck me in the readings this morning. The um, the first comes from Isaiah, the first reading that we have, where we hear about the shoot that shall sprout from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a bud shall blossom. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and of strength, a spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. And this line, and his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. Maybe it's just me, but that just seems odd, or just seems out of place, perhaps. That's why I just spent some time just sitting with that and asking, like, what does that mean? The fear of the Lord is not just, it's not a terror or an anxiety in the presence of holy things or the presence of God. The fear of the Lord is that overwhelming sense of awe and wonder at the grandiosity, the majesty, just to be overcome and overwhelmed by who God is, that you are God and I am not, right? A profound recognition of my creatureliness. It's a profound recognition of the majesty of God. I just want to try and connect that to the gospel that we just heard, where, like, imagine what it must have been like for these apostles to witness Jesus to witness one of these moments where Jesus is caught up into that, where he's caught up into dialogue with his Father, right? Because the whole first part of the Gospel, he's not talking to them. He's talking to his Father. I mean, it comes to a point where it says, now turning to the disciples in private, he says. But everything before that is Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, this overwhelmed, overcome by the beauty, the majesty, the grandiosity of the Father. He's talking to, the, to his Father. He's talking to his Father about the things that he's done and the way that he's done things. What must that have been like for the apostles to witness that conversation, to witness that moment? One of the images that was brought to mind for me as I was praying about this was how, you know, as a seminarian way back in the day, the have these moments walking into the chapel for morning prayer, evening prayer, night prayer, one of the, you know, hours of the day we pray as a community or a different moment to pray, you know, private holy hour, but stumbling into the chapel and you, you stumble upon one of the, uh, just one of the, the, I was just going to call them the older guys, but it's one of the older guys, right? One of the older, the older priests. I'm thinking of Father, uh, Father Murphy, who I think he just turned 90, or I think of um, the late Bishop Pevick, uh, maybe some of you remember Bishop Pevick. He was an incredibly holy man. I think the pew that he sat in was just conformed to his body because he just spent so much time in that pew. He had, he had a large print breviary and, uh, for his de- praying the divine office. And because of my eye issues, I also had a large print breviary. So we were large print breviary buddies together. But his large print breviary allowed him to have all of these folded up sheets of paper with people's names. And you just see him, he'd open up it's like this long, like a CVS receipt, you know, like 10 miles long, just names of people that he would be praying for. 
Anyway, I think about him. I think about Father Bob McCurry stumbling into the chapel, watching these guys pray. It just felt like you were watching something so holy, something so intimate, so powerful. Like I couldn't hear their conversation, but I knew that they were caught up into this fear of the Lord, into this conversation with the Father. Like, and if that's how I felt in front of these men, like what, again, must the apostles have felt looking at Jesus, gazing upon his Father, addressing his Father out of the intimacy of his own heart? And he's speaking, he's speaking of how these things have been hidden from the wise and the learned. And, and we might ask, like, what things? Like the very nature of God, the very heart of God, the very depth of the Father's identity, the heart of the mystery of the Trinity, like the mystery that Jesus himself in his very person is bearing into the world, that, that he's God in the flesh. And why were these things hidden? It's not because God is like anti-intellectual and he wanted to make it hard for the smart guys. No, the reason why it was hidden was because of their hearts. That the, that the wise and the learned, the, the religious professionals of Jesus' day, those who were the experts, they became experts in religion rather than maintaining a childlike wonder that allowed them to be overwhelmed by the fear of the Lord. To be moved, to be awestruck. They became experts. They became experts in their own modes of auto-salvation, self-sufficiency. Jesus wasn't mincing words when he says things like, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Another way of saying that is, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into relationship with the king. If you ever go to Bethlehem, I've probably said this before, you ever go to Bethlehem in, in the Holy Land, <coughs> the door to get into the Basilica in Bethlehem. It's not a big door. It's a very, very little door, very low to the ground. That the only way through the door is if you crouch down, if you get small, if you assume the posture of a child. That's how you enter into the kingdom, enter into the presence of the king. And as soon as you step into that place, it is just awe and wonder. Jesus says categorically that nobody knows the Father except the Son. Nobody knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Not these religious experts. They don't know. Remember, again, there's that two senses of the word know. We don't really have that in English, but in other Romance languages, you've got factual knowledge, and then you've got interpersonal knowledge. Right? No, here is, it's, it's in the same sense that we hear in Genesis, that Adam knew his wife Eve and she bore him a son. That's, some, that's not just factual knowledge. That's deep interpersonal knowledge. Jesus, he turns to the twelve and he says, Do you know how many kings and prophets long to see what you see and to hear what you hear? But they didn't. He says, I am revealing the Father to you. I'm revealing the Father to you, and more than that, I'm inviting you into my own sonship, my own identity, my own relationship with the Father, so you can have access to the Father, so you can know the Father like I know the Father. So friends, I just want us to, to reflect this morning how in, as we continue through our Advent journey, we're only here at the beginning, but we're invited to contemplate 
in a fresh way this morning how the, the one who is lying in the manger, he is the heart of God. He is the heart of God on full display. We human beings, finite creatures, we take a lifetime with great painful purifications, a lifetime of trying to reveal and share and give our hearts. But the Father, by speaking one word, the word made flesh, he fully reveals his entire heart. That's what Jesus is. Lying in the manger is the Father's heart. Amen.